All right. Well, I pray everyone is doing well at home and everyone is safe and secure and, and healthy. And um, obviously this is a time where we're all trying to figure out the best way to do things. And uh, a, couple of, a couple of announcements regarding church. There's so much going on. So many positive things that are happening uh, in, uh, well, in just the body, uh, but particularly what we're doing via, uh, you know, virtual settings. So, um, there's a bunch of things happening. Uh, first off, is this Wednesday we're going to have our prayer meeting. We're going to get together and we're going to pray via uh, a Zoom link. So, please uh, pay attention on Facebook. That's where we're going to have all of our announcements uh, of different meetings that are taking place. Guys, look, this is a time where we get to make a decision, and that is, am I going to eat Doritos and watch Netflix, or am I going to do sit-ups, push-ups, and then get into the Word of God? You get to make the decision, right, uh, of what you're going to do. I don't care if you're running laps in your backyard, or if you're... Uh, I was told uh, a guy uh, in Italy who literally ran a marathon on his balcony. He just... Did the calculations and just ran in a circle, just like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, di- I'm gonna continue with life during this time. And so I encourage you to make a positive, healthy decision in what you're gonna be doing. Uh, and so this Wednesday we'll have our time of prayer. It'll be very powerful as it has been. Uh, another thing that's gonna be transpiring, which I don't have a graphic for yet, um, but that is going to be um, we are going to have. This is this is wild. We are going to have. A church talent show via Zoom. So that can only come from the brilliance of my my wife's mind. So we are literally going to do a talent show via Zoom. Uh, I believe it's uh, the 28th, but uh, you'll see a graphic that's going to be coming out. Uh, But uh, I want you to reach out to uh, Jess Mott uh, via email. I'll post your email in a moment. What's up? Yeah, we'll, we'll have the graphic that's up. Yeah, I guess 28th, I think, is a, a Friday. But we'll, Josh will have the graphic posted up. We've had so many graphics that are going out. We don't want to, like, clog everyone with all the events, and then you forget which event is happening when. But that's going to be really awesome. Just a time to show off, and then we're going to have some uh, little prizes, little silly things, uh, like maybe like a Dunkin' Donuts card and things like that that you can be able to use. Um, so that will be coming up. Uh, there are women's ministries that are happening. Please check Facebook. We have our men's coffee hour. That's going to be happening um, this Saturday at 9 o'clock. That was really cool. So it'll be happening. And then I'm uh, very proud to, uh, to talk about this one. Uh, we're going old school Bible study hour. Not like normal Bible study, like old school Bible study, which we don't use a book written by some like fancy preacher. Although there's nothing wrong with those. I mean, we, we, those are very valuable resources. But I just felt the Lord was just saying, let's go old school. Let's just open up the Bible. Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah, come on. Like, let's not like, get other people's interpretations of it. Although other people's interpretations and commentaries are fantastic. There's nothing wrong with that. But I just feel like the Lord is just saying for a season, let's go back to the roots, man. Let's just like read the Bible verse by verse. And just see what the Lord is saying. See what people have to uh, think about that. So, what we're going to be doing is as long as this quarantine is going, every Friday night, Friday night we're going to do Bible Hour with Pastor Dave. Okay? And uh, what we'll probably do is uh, I'll probably have some uh, people uh, as kind of guest uh, moder- moderators. 
Um, because I don't want it to be just you know one person teaching. I really want to construct it where you guys can ask questions, where we can hear your inputs on it, and we're literally going to go verse by verse. Okay. Uh, and so uh, I really was feeling from the Lord to, to do the book of James. It's one of my favorite books. It's kind of a different feel. But uh, what we're going to do is uh, I encourage you to start reading uh, maybe just the first chapter of James. Because the reality here is we're going to get through like a couple verses a night, if that. Okay? Um, so please uh, take a look at the uh, Zoom link, which will be posted later this week. Uh, and then uh, you can uh, come on, on board. And we really want to have it at the time of... Um, Interaction, okay? Um, so we'll be doing that. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Oh, another announcement is this. We are attempting to the best of our ability to reach out to people during this time. Uh, some of you guys uh, may have received a phone call from me this week. I uh, just wanted to reach out and see how people are doing and if there's anything that we can do. Uh, but we took a look at our contact list. And since the last time we like really had a contact list, our church has exploded. So... There's not a lot of names on our contact list. So what we're asking is this. If you can send an email to jess at bristlehope.com um, and just write down your, your name, first and last, your phone number, your address, so we can compile that in this age. And we really want to just have a bunch of different people from the church just reach out to you guys, uh, especially those that may not have uh, family around, just to make sure that everything is okay. So please, jess at bristlehope.com. Uh, and Jess will start to compute all of that, okay? Anything else that I'm, uh, I'm missing or no? There's so much activity. Lady Zoom meaning animal, do you know when that is? Or? Well, here's the thing. Everything is on our Facebook wall, and like this is what's crazy. I think we've been... I think we have been actually more invested as a community since we have not been here uh, through virtual meetings. Uh, and that is powerful. So I just, can't, I mean, I'm telling you, just, let's just keep going for it. Do you want to mention the identity class? Or? Yeah, the identity class is, uh, is going to be up and running as well. Uh, that's on the Facebook wall. And like I said, there's, there's literally, you know, for those people who are like, hey, this church is not doing community. I just want like, you guys to understand this. We have a prayer night. We have a Bible study night. We have a men's coffee hour. We have kids' meetings where kids are like doing scavenger hunts and fun. We're doing a talent show. We're doing a women's group. We're having an identity class. So, once again, Netflix and Doritos or the Lord and push-ups? It's up to you. <laughs> All right. Let's get into it. Just encourage you two guys when we're um, preaching and going through, please put some comments on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, also, I encourage you to share the links with people. It's really cool for a church our size, right? Uh, I think last week we had over 400 views on YouTube alone, and so that's uh, really cool. We want to get the word out what the Lord is doing in this place out uh, during this time. Amen? All right, let me just make sure I got my... I got, my, got some of my stuff together. Um, and yeah, write comments, man. Let's encourage each other. Like, amen and power and something stands out for you. Uh, encourage you just to write out on that. And, and especially the, uh, the couple people that are here, you know, feel free um, to just partake and participate. 
All right, so today, as we all know, and if you didn't know, you now know. Right, today is Passover, or Passover, t- today is uh, Palm Sunday, and I'm going to be honest, I posted on Facebook last night, you guys, please don't judge me, but literally, with like how the quarantine is going, I was like, I don't think I brushed my teeth yesterday. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I did, because <laughs> right, we can, we can get into that kind of routine of PJs, right? Uh, and so, it made me like, oh my gosh, it's Palm Sunday, that means next week is Next Sunday is Easter. It means this week right now is, is going to be Passover that's coming up on Wednesday night. So you're, you're, it, it's like, holy cow, calendar. So today is Palm Sunday. So let's open up to uh, John chapter 12, verse 12. I, I read it at the beginning of worship. And as you're getting there, I'm going to, I'm going to pray. Father, we just come before you and we invite your presence, Lord. Calm our hearts, calm our minds, to let us be focused on your word right now. We just invite you, Holy Spirit. Open our hearts to receive of your word. Amen. All right, just want to make sure we're, we have so many different cameras and devices going on. I want to make sure everything's queued up. <clears throat> So uh, John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Yeshua, Jesus, was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. And they cried out, Hosanna, or Hoshiana. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And so as I've been saying this last week, right now we're entering into a season, right, a very special season in the biblical calendar. We have a season of both Passover uh, that is transpiring this week, and of course, the celebration of the resurrection that coincides, of course, uh, with the feast and festival of Passover. And so, those of you who have not been around uh, Bristol Hope Assembly, right, we, we, we really want to educate people in the scriptures, and we want to educate them on the Jewish roots and the Hebrew roots of our faith, uh, because... Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but the Older Testament and the Newer Testament is one book that's together. And uh, something unfortunate has happened in the church, I would say, probably in the last 30, 40 years. And that is Christians have began to gravitate only reading the New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs. Okay? But the longevity of Christian thought has been you read the entire book of the Bible. Right? Uh, you, You read from Genesis to Revelation. You get educated in that. And so there is a powerful, powerful truth that is happening right now in this season. Uh, and it's a season of the combining of the newer and older testaments in a, in a fullness. And so it's, it's been said like this, right? The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. And the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. Come on. Okay? So all those things that were a foreshadowing, when a prophecy that was brought forth to the children of Israel in the Older Testament is now revealed in the spirit and revealed in the print and revealed in the teachings of Jesus and his disciples. Okay? But at the same time, there are things in the, of the New Testament that were promised and are held in the Older Testament. And so really to, to get biblically grounded, to really truly be biblically grounded, right? we need, we need to understand both of what's happening. 
Uh, and so what we have here is this. Uh, there are paradigms in the Old Testament. There are archetypes. There are prophecies. There are foreshadowings of things to come, which are then revealed in the New Testament. And uh, it's pretty clear that um, one of the most powerful and profound connection and paradigm of the Older Testament, which is now foreshadowed and fulfilled in the Newer Testament, is the power of the paradigm of blood, sacrifice, and the Lamb. Right? That is uh, one of the most powerful uh, pieces uh, of connection. And so just to draw this, you know, because I, I want to make sure that we're biblically grounded in these, some of these thoughts, because some of this might be new for some of you. Uh, let's sort of open up to the book of Hebrews. Chapter 9. Uh, this is a, a very interesting book. Uh, one of the reasons why it's so interesting is because it's addressed to the Hebrews. Okay? It's one of the uh, few books, uh, there's actually uh, two books at least in the New Testament that the clear audience are Jewish believers. Okay? The book of Hebrews and also the book of James, uh, which we'll find out on Friday if you come out to our Bible study. Right? Uh, it says, James, I'm writing to the 12 tribes of the diaspora, right? the 12 tribes of Israel that are, are sent out. And obviously, the entirety of the Bible is written to all peoples, but the audience specifically in Hebrews are Jewish believers. Hence, this very deep theological and Levitical connections that are being pulled out from the book of Hebrews that the general Gentile in the first century would be like, huh? Right? Uh, and so these are some of the connections. So Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, and it says this, and according to the law, almost, sorry, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission, no remission of sins. And so what we have here is a New Testament context is talking about the Old Testament context of sacrifice and saying this. There cannot be remission of sins without the shedding of blood. And this is one of the most powerful things that I, that I have gotten into uh, with sharing the gospel to Jewish people. And uh, I just say to them, look, your own scriptures, my scriptures and your scriptures in the Older Testament, the Hebrew Bible says that there needs to be the shedding of blood to take away sin. And if there's no temple anymore, and there's no longer sacrifices being made, where is the remission of your sins? And then I come back to him and say, but look, Yeshua, the blood of the Lamb of God, has given this as a permanent sacrifice. And you see like the light bulb kind of go on, and they're kind of like, wow, interesting. And so where is this coming from? This is coming from Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. This is very powerful. <clears throat> For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. And for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, no one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. Right? So what we have here is there a, you are to be forbidden to eat meat that has the blood in it. That's, that's one thing that's going on here. But the deeper thing here is this. Why? Because the blood is the source of life. And I've given it to you as a sign. And I've given it to you as the remission of sins. And so that's what we have going on here. And so now, uh, what we see here through all this is that there is a very, very deep theological and even Holy Spirit-led power of the paradigm of the atonement that is made by God for you and for me through the shedding of blood. So we're no longer an agricultural people. And you don't understand what it's like to kill an animal. 
And now this is a little bit of rabbit trail, but years ago I was working on a farm and I was commissioned to slaughter lamb. Lambs, literally, and sheep. Uh, and it was one of the most spiritual moments of my life because what, when I'm sitting there, and because it, it was just like, why, Lord? Why would you force man to kill an animal for the remission of sins? And I remember when I was slaughtering these animals, it was, it was very, very spiritual. And it was like, when you look at this animal and you see life leaving it, I, I was, I was kind of taken back to the times of sacrifice. And it was this powerful thing that an animal, a life, would have to die because of your sin. And then, then suddenly, the power and the gravity of my sin became so much more real. When I saw that an animal would have to give of itself, would have to die because of what I've done. Now take that to now the Son of God, Jesus on the cross. So let's take a look uh, at this season. Because this season is resurrection, it is Easter, it is Passover. And let's start to build some of these connections so we can better understand what it means when a lamb enters the city on Palm Sunday. Exodus 12, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you, which is known as the month of Aviv in, uh, in the Bible. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, say, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor, next to his house, take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. What we have here is this is the Exodus story. This is the plagues will be coming. This is, this is what you are to do. You are to go and take a lamb and you are to sacrifice it. This is the sacrifice of Passover. Okay? Now, we break it down. We take a look at these verses. What's going on here? We have, all right, you are to take a lamb, get a lamb uh, that has no blemish, that that is pure, that is perfect, has no problems with it. Second thing, you are to pay, this is very important for today, you are to go and select that lamb on the 10th day of the first month of the year. First month is called Aviv, meaning spring. It's a springtime month. On the 10th day of that month, you go and get the lamb. You bring it into your house. And for four days, it's with you. And you're checking to see if it has any blemish. Then on the 14th day, you are to provide the Passover sacrifice. Remember, where the blood goes, the destroyer cannot be, as we learned from last week. You are then to take that blood and you put it on the post and lintel of your house with the use of an herb called hyssop. And then you also are to eat of the body of the lamb in the Passover meal. That's what's being transcribed here in the book of Exodus chapter 12. Okay? Now what do we know? We know from extra biblical Jewish sources from the time of Jesus and a little earlier, a little after, that this is the way things would go down. Okay? 
is not made up. These are like rabbinical sources where they're clarifying the nuances of what has to happen during Passover. Here's the first thing. They would refer to the 10th day of the first month as Lamb Selection Day. It's the day that you pick out the lamb. They also tell us this. Where would you get all the lambs that would have to be brought forth into Jerusalem? Like, you're not going to get a lamb from your farm up in the Galilee. Because you have several days of walking with that lamb. And the likelihood that it gets hurt and gets a blemish is going to be very high. So what do you do? You go down to Jerusalem and there you purchase a lamb. The entire nation of Israel needs to purchase a lamb in the surrounding areas of Jerusalem to bring forth the sacrifice. Okay? This would happen after they're actually in the land of Israel. Where would they get the lamb? The extra-biblical Jewish sources say this. You would get the lamb from the town of Bethlehem. Wow, come on. All right, Bethlehem is a 10-minute drive. It's probably half a day's walk from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. So the Bethlehem industry, can you imagine? It's like an entire industry. I mean, the amount of lambs that you would have to raise in order to provide sacrifices for every family in Israel would be immense. It's almost like Bethlehem had a monopoly on the lamb industry. Okay? Now, Jesus, right, is born in Bethlehem. You, you see these connections. Uh, and, in fact, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, Paul says that he, Jesus, is the Passover sacrifice or the Passover lamb. Right? In the New Testament, Paul himself is saying, he is it, and so then therefore let us partake. Very interesting that Paul the Apostle, in that scripture verse, is actually calling forth the church of Corinthians to partake in the Passover. He is the Passover lamb. All right? Now, this is what's so ph- phenomenal here, but, but for four days before the Passover, you pick the lamb out uh, on the 10th of Aviv. And on the 14th is the Passover. So four days before Passover, you pick the lamb out. But you see, four days before Jesus is crucified on Passover, he enters the city. You see, the same day that God has told you to get the lamb and bring it into Jerusalem, to bring it into your homes, the same day that you're picking out the lamb, which one is going to be the right lamb to use, which one has no blemish, the one that you're inviting to your home is the same day as Palm Sunday. Wow. That's what's going on. Because Palm Sunday, four days later, is, is, is the crucifixion, and three days later is going to be the resurrection, right? Uh, essentially. And the math gets kind of complicated, but it's for another sermon. But essentially, Lamb Selection Day is Palm Sunday. As I said, this is the day. This is the day when Jesus enters into the city. This is the day when everyone in Jerusalem, the surrounding areas, is a hustle, and there's a bustle. Which lamb do you get out in Bethlehem and bringing them in? This is very, very powerful. So... This is what we get. The Lamb of God enters the city via the sheep gate along with all the other Passover lambs. Wow. Essentially. And what are the people doing? They're saying, Hoshiana. Now in English we say Hosanna. And everyone's like, what is what, Hosanna the highest? What does that mean? Oh, it just means Hosanna. No, I mean, it comes from Hebrew, Hoshiana, which means God save us. 
When this lamb comes in during the Passover 2,000 years ago, the nation, or rather the city of Jerusalem, is shouting out to the Lamb of God on the Lamb Selection Day, not even know what's going on. Come, save us. Wow. Save us from the destroyer. Come on, this is, this is good stuff, right? And they're shouting out rejoicing. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But what we got here is this, guys. This is, what, this is what's so crazy. They're saying, Baruch HaBab, Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. On the Lamb Selection Day, four days before the Passover meal and sacrifice. But four days later, after they are rejoicing, there's a new shout. Wow. The shout is crucified. You go from this lamb being a part of your family, this lamb, the lamb of God, being the righteous king, to now sacrifice him, kill him, destroy him. Four days. Well, during those four days, what's going on? Well, it's the same thing that is happening with the, all the other lambs. In that four-day experience, you need to make sure, double-check, triple-check, if that lamb has any blemishes. And in the four days of Jesus entering into the city of Jerusalem and the actual sacrifice comes on, what's going on? There's four days of questioning. There's four days of the people and the Pharisees and even Pilate asking and seeing if there's any blemish or fault to find in him. Come on, my God. Look at this. Uh, Matthew chapter 26. You know I'm not making this up. Go run around the church. Matthew 26, you can see what's going on here, right? Uh, these are the high priests, the Sanhedrin. During the, the days of determining if the lamb has a blemish or not. Uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 62. And the high priest arose and said to him, to Jesus, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus said to them, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of, God, Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have to witness? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think they answered and said? And they said, He is deserving of death. So what we have here is essentially, yes, the priests are seeing if they can find fault, but not only are the priests seeing if they can find fault, God the Father, in a regards, is actually also taking a look to see if this lamb is going to have a blemish or not. God is saying, my son is a lamb, but lamb, I need to see if you have a blemish. Are you going to falter? Are you going to cave in? And what does the lamb do? He stands. I, it is, as you said. Earlier, I'm sorry, later, right after, uh, we now see Pilate. Matthew 27, verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. 
Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. And later on, the governor, Pilate, says, He's done nothing wrong. I'll wash my hands of this. I have found no fault in him. Guys, what you have to understand is this is all happening at the same time where all the other lambs in the city are being looked at and being questioned, you know, in a sense, like, is it pure? Does it have a growth? Does it have a cancer? Does it have a broken foot? Does it, if anything is wrong with it, it can't be used. Come on, Dave. Wow, so good. Is this new to anyone out there? Yeah. 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 What's that? Yeah, if you've been here a while, this is, yeah, if you've been here a while, you, you've heard some of these things, right? And so fine, you know, this would be kind of fruitless if we did not now take this and say, let's apply this. Let's think about this, right? Because, you know, we could talk about all these theological things. You're like, oh, that's really cool. And it's really cool if you want to share the gospel with people and show the beauty of the word. And, and there is a point and there's a matter to that. There's also a secondary uh, reason. And maybe even maybe in some regards a more important reason is that as well, what do we do with it? What's the connection to this? Here's the reality, guys. People... People love to find fault with you. Wow. Look, we do have faults. I don't claim to not have faults. Uh, I claim to have faults. I have faults. Uh, we and I just rely on the Holy Spirit to transform me, to transform my flesh. And so in one moment, I don't know if any of you have ever had this happen to you. It happens to me often, actually. In one moment, there will be people that you work with, people in your family, people who are not saved, who will sing your praise. Oh, man, you're such a good Christian man. You know, you're a good father. You love your children. You love your wife. You know, in this age of divorce and all this kind of stuff, like, you know, you're just a model of what a family should be. You have such love and grace and compassion for people. Oh, man, it's like such a model of what Fathers should be like, or what people should be like. And then in another moment, judgment. What? You're against abortion? Yes. What, what, what you're, you're against sex before marriage? Yes. You're against homosexuality? Yes. And from one moment for being such a great father who does this as a model citizen, within the blink of an eye, you are one who is just judgmental and is horrendous. See, when we stand against sin, people will try to find fault with you now. But they're not the ones who say if you have a blemish or not. The one who says that you have a blemish or not is the father. And he looks at us and he says, you're not at fault anymore. Right? So guys, when I sin, when you sin, we know that we have sinned. I'm hoping, like, you usually, if you're maturing the faith, you don't need anyone to tell you, like, hey, brother, you've sinned. You know. But here's the thing. We turn away from it. At least you should be. That is the true biblical understanding of repentance. It comes from the Hebrew word teshuva, which means that whatever action you were doing, you turn 180 degrees and go in the other way. And so, guys, this is what I'm trying to get at here for this Palm, Palm Sunday understanding. Like it was done towards the Lamb of God, a person, a city, can and most likely will turn on you. The goal for man, you're a great Christian guy, to man, you're so judgmental like that. 
And so there are questions that uh, we want to raise, or I want to raise. If people turn on you, and they say that you're just a judgmental Christian, maybe you are a judgmental Christian, and you're like laying down the hammer too much. We would have to talk about that, right? You convey all things in love. But if you are standing against sin, and you're immovable with it, that's fine. If people turn on you, your city, your co-workers, your family members, will you still love them? Will you still love the person? If your city turns on you, will you still love the city? In fact, do you even love the city in which you dwell? I want that to sink in right now. I'm telling you, if the city turns on you, if people turn on you, that you are to respond and still love them. But I've got to ask a question. Wherever, whatever town you live in, or in the Philadelphia region, do you love the city, even now? So what we have here is this. The Lamb of God is entering the city of Jerusalem. But before the Lamb of God enters the city, he does something. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. You see, before the lamb entered the city, before people could fi- try to find fault with him, he, before any of that happens, probably, probably sometime last night, he's weeping for the city. And so my question for you during this Holy Week is this. Do you weep for the earth? Do you weep for the city in which you dwell? Because you know what? Jesus did. Guys, uh, we are called to be Christ-like. We are called to be lamb-like. What is a Christian? A Christian was originally used towards the followers of Jesus as a derogatory term, actually, historians would say. Christian means a little Christ. You and I are supposed to be little Christ. We're supposed to be the embodiment of him. We're supposed to be acting like him. We're supposed to be being like him. And before he entered a city to be crucified for him, he wept. Look, man. People want... Oh, man, come on. You know how many books I've read? You know how many sermons I've heard of people talking about the power of Jesus and how to get the power of Jesus? I mean, people want the power of Jesus. People want the miracles of Jesus. People want the authority of Jesus. But to have the power, to have the miracles, to have the authority, you need to weep. And you need to weep first. You need to weep over the land. You need to weep over the people. You need to weep over the city like Jesus wept. If you don't have power and authority, it's probably because you don't have the right to have the power and authority because you don't have love and compassion and you haven't wept yet. You haven't wept for your nation. You haven't wept for your family. You haven't wept for your town. You haven't wept for your colleagues yet. You can't have authority until you weep. And Jesus had a power and authority over the powers of sin and death because he wept. Yeah. 
before he became the lamb. To be invested, to be impassioned over the city and over the people. I believe that this week and this month, guys, with all of this craziness going on, this is what the Lord is asking of us, to weep. To be like him and not just look for the miracles and the power and the authority and the boldness and the financial blessings and all this other kind of stuff where we can sell a whole bunch of books. But if I wrote a book on how you have to weep, probably wouldn't sell many. Let's take a look at this context. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. This is Luke chapter 19. I just read verse 41. And now let's pick up on 42. Or what the heck, let's start in 41. Luke 19, chapter, uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you do not know the time of your visitation. You see, when Jesus is looking over the city, he sees two alternative destinies. He sees a destiny of destruction where the city will literally be torn down and people will be killed and children will be crushed underneath these stones. But then he also sees a revelation of destiny, what will make you peace. And this is the weeping. Because he looks at the city and he sees two possibilities. And he knows the possibility where they will go. to the negative one. He knows what will make for you peace, O Jerusalem. And so I believe that the church in this hour, with everything going on, needs a revival of weeping. Uh, I believe we don't have a revival in our land because we haven't wept over our land yet. When Jesus goes into Jerusalem, what does he do, man? Before he even enters, he weeps. He knows her destiny. He knows what good destiny she has, but she also knows what bad destiny she has. And he's compelled because I know what would end the bad destiny if he just called upon me. He enters the city as a lamb, a vulnerability in the spirit. A lamb who opens not his mouth, who does not try to strike back, who does not try to fight back. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of vulnerability. He says, I am not my own. I am a sacrifice to be made. Zeke, can you come on up, please? So he weeps. He enters the city as a lamb. He's crucified and he's resurrected. Obviously, we know that. Uh, but I, I just want to, like, I want you guys to understand the theme that's happening here. Before a resurrection, there is a crucifixion. And before there is a crucifixion, there is a trial. We are called to be Christ-like. We are called to be like the Lamb of God. And if you really want to patent this off of Jesus' ministry, if you're really serious about this, this is the way it would look. Jesus had a trial. Allow, hear me, allow people to judge you. 
they're judging you, that means that you're standing on righteousness. And you're not caving in. Allow them to judge you and allow them to find fault in you through their own eyes. But you know that you will not have a blemish because the Lord sees you differently. So many people, guys, in the church want resurrection power, but they don't want a crucifixion. In order to be resurrected, you need to be crucified. The scriptures say we are to die to the flesh. Pick up the cross daily, guys. We need to kill the flesh. We need to kill the flesh, and part of the flesh is the ego, and it's the pride, and trying to prove to everyone that is not of the kingdom, that you're right, your way is right. Man, Jesus never tried to prove. He just stood on righteousness. And so there will be a trial, there will be a crucifixion in your life, in the spirit. But then we get to see the resurrection power. First, you need a resurrection in your life, and then you'll see a resurrection in the city. But this Holy Week, I, I tell you this, before, before a trial, and before a crucifixion, and before a res- resurrection in your city, you need to weep. We need to weep over our city. We need to weep over our land. A compassion, an impassioned people for your city. We need to be like Jesus that looks on her and says, I know what will make you peace. What will make you peace is calling upon the name of Jesus. Have you prayed? Have you wept over the city in which you dwell? Philadelphia, I know what will make you peace. I know what will end murder. And I know what will end crime. And I know what will end drugs. And I know what will end addiction. And I know what will end all that. Jesus in your life. To be compelled as a Christian is to be compelled to weep over the land. In Philadelphia, Independence Hall, where the nation was formed, where the founding fathers sat down and wrote their own death warrant, a declaration of independence for the colonies, right here in Philadelphia. And the reason why I'm making mention of this is this. When you weep for Philadelphia, you weep on and for the foundations of our nation. And so if you're watching and you live somewhere else, yes, you have a prerogative to weep and prayer over Washington, D.C., but also to weep and pray over the land and the city of Philadelphia because it's the foundation of the nation. Come on, David. Yes. Yes. And so closing up today is this. Do you know that Jesus is still praying for Jerusalem? Do you know that Jesus is still praying for the world? 
You see, today the world still judges him. Yet he still makes intercession for her. And why is that? Because he loves Jerusalem and he loves the earth. It says in the scriptures that he is married and we are to be married to the land. Isaiah 62. For Zion, Jerusalem, Israel, really, for Zion's sake I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest. I will not hold my peace and I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation is a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory, and the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem, and the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate. But you shall be called Hephzibah, and your land Beulah, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married." For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices of the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I have sent watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent and give him no rest until he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. And so what we see here is this. There's a profound nature to how Jesus reviews Jerusalem and how we are to view the land in which we live in. In Isaiah 62 here, we see that the Lord is calling forth for you to be wed to the land in which you live. Verse 4, he says, The land shall be a Beulah unto you. Beulah in Hebrew means bride. They just didn't translate it. Is used it as a proper name. The land shall be a bride unto you. In verse 5 it says, Your son shall marry the land. See, the land in which you live in, the Lord is calling you to have an intimacy with it. A deep love for the land. A deep love for Philadelphia. A deep land for the foundations of this nation. And so this Palm Sunday, yes, let's rejoice that Jesus has come. Yes, let's rejoice and say, Hosanna, save us, Lord, and particularly this season with everything that's going on. But the Lord is calling us to do what he did. And what did he, did? he, what did he do? He became a lamb to the city. And he was crucified in the flesh, but he was also resurrected. But before all of that, people, before we get resurrection power, before we see the miracles, before we see the authority over the land, the Lord is saying you need to have intimacy with it. And intimacy brings forth a weeping that just cries out to your land, that cries out to community, I know what would make you peace. And you can see the two destinies, the destinies of a city or a town, not following the Lord or following the Lord. Why don't we stand for the couple of people that are here to close out? Father, we come before you. 
And we pray, Lord, that during this Palm Sunday that we actually can, can live outside of ourselves. Lord, that we can be a people that will say, look, yes, Hosanna in the highest, and we rejoice that you're here. Rejoice that you saved us. But you're called us, you called us to be like you. To share the power of the gospel. To bring hope. To pray for the sick and see them healed. To raise the dead. But Lord, to have that authority, we need to weep. We need to shed tears of compassion and desire for the land in which we dwell in. Father, right now I pray for Philadelphia. Right now I I pray for the foundations of this city. I pray for the foundations of this nation. In the very beginning they came and made a covenant with God. That there would be a, a city upon a hill. To show the world your gospel. Father, I pray over Philadelphia, our home metropolitan area, Lord. Lord, that they would know what would make them peace. That they would call upon you. And that this nation, from that foundation, will call upon you as well. But Lord, to do it, we need to humble ourselves. Lord, to do it, we need to be a land that opens not its mouth to try to rebut. But a people that display the resurrection power of the Lamb of God. This is Palm Sunday. We rejoice in your coming. Come on, Lord. But we ask to be transformed. Transform us. And to have a heart of compassion over the people, the land, and the city in which we dwell. Have a wonderful week. Please, like I said earlier, pay attention to what's going on on Facebook for all the various things that are taking place. Zeke is going to close this out with a little time of, of worship and reflection. And please, once again, reach out to Jess on that email with your contact information because we'd really like to reach out to you guys and see how you're doing. Have a wonderful week.